Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, regular listeners. You may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well... That and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Sarit Becker. I'm Itamar Srulovich. Together we run a couple of Middle Eastern restaurants in London. And we also do our fair share of food writing. You're listening to Honey and Cold where we take turns interviewing interesting people from the world of food in front of a small audience at our deli, Honey and Spice. In this series, we'll be meeting producers and makers who create some of the essential ingredients in cooking. The people you're going to hear from supply us, inspire us, improve our cooking and our life in general. We hope you enjoy and have fun geeking out with us about all things food. Enjoy! Enjoy! Tonight we're going to be talking all about chocolate. We have the wonderful Joanna Brennan from Pump Street Chocolates. They make some of the best chocolates in England. We're going to talk about how to source your beans, what to do with them once you have, how to try and do a bit of fair trading with the world. She's a fascinating woman. It's the best subject in the world because it's about chocolate. Listen up. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Honey & Co. Today we're going to fill our faces and minds with as much chocolate as we can. To help us do this, we can think of anyone better than Joanna Brennan from Pump Street. Her father and her set up a bakery back in 2010 and then slowly turned as well into chocolate production. And it's one of the best chocolates you can get in England. I think it's beautiful. But let's welcome her. Thank you very much for having me. I'm a huge, huge fan of chocolate. Self-confessed chocoholic. And through the years... My flavor has evolved and the fascination is I'm also a pastry chef, so obviously fascination with chocolate is quite a big thing. For me, I remember going to St. Lucia and seeing a, a cacao tree yeah. the first time, seeing the pods growing and just being amazed, picking one out of sheer excitement, but then opening it and it's actually a completely different thing inside, isn't yeah. it? So we're going to ask Joe a bit about how this all happens. How do we turn from a cacao tree to the final kind of product. Yeah, which is very unexpected, yeah. definitely process. Um, yeah, so how we do that is um, a lot of it is down to not us. So as I'm obviously passionate about chocolate as well as a chocolate maker, but a lot of what happens in making chocolate actually happens very, very far away from us in the UK happens on farms, um, farms that are within 20 degrees of the equator, which is the cocoa growing region. The, what happens there is quite magical, as you say, and a really unexpected um, kind of growing process 
where cacao trees grow under a canopy of a rainforest usually or other trees um, and so they like to be in the shade and you get these magnificent multicolored pods that grow out of the trees directly out of the tree which is yeah. the strangest thing it, it really is yeah. yeah so it's not off a branch literally like right out of the trunk you get a very thin stem and then a quite a big pod which can range from sort of a melon size to like a american football kind of size and um and they're multicolored. you can have different color pods on the same tree as well so it's like something out of a fairy tale in a lot of ways um and as well as the actual flavor of that pod because you break that open and it's got fruit inside which is this like white pulpy it's almost like um, lychees isn't it this yeah. is my impression of it or when we ate it which was delicious it is delicious yeah lychee fresh really. yeah really tropical mm. um yeah really amazing flavor unfortunately it doesn't travel well doesn't keep well and isn't really utilized in a huge ways i'm really excited there's some companies in the states that are starting to make um cacao pulp juice and i really hope that that takes off because um, I'd love more people to try that flavor. It's amazing. Um, so we're really dependent on all of that growing that happens, um, as I say, in the cacao growing countries and then the processing that also happens on the farms. So to get those pods and the seeds that are within those pods, because although we co call them cocoa beans, they're actually seeds. Um, and to get those seeds basically shippable to us, they need to be dried. So all that fruitiness that's on the outside needs to be dried. And um, that's happens via sort of a fermentation and drying process that happens on the farm. And we're really indebted to the farmers that we work with who pay close attention to that process, which sort of locks in the flavor and actually develops the flavor for us to make the best chocolate. And we can. for them to understand, we're talking about quite a long process. Yeah. Now it's over 40 days of turning and letting the sun kind of do its... Yeah, it's really, really long process because occasionally farms will have two crops a year, but usually just one crop a year. So they're waiting all year round for this crop to, to be ready. Um, and then when it's ripe, they're harvesting these pods, opening them up, taking all of this fruity um, seedy mixture out and then fermenting that in sort of um, quite like actually similar to like old bread bins um, with banana leaves inside and then fermenting usually large, amount, large amounts at a time. So 500 kilos, probably what you need to ferment at any one time. And it's the natural yeast and bacteria that occur sort of just in the forest um, that actually start to work and eat away the sugars that are on the fruity pulp around the beans. And then that's what starts to sort of make the beans look like what arrives with us, which I can actually pass around so you guys can have a look. Um, these are little beans. Um, they're usually about sort of two to three centimeters and they are almond shaped. A lot of um, the original sort of conquistadors called them almonds. Um, and they they are what arrive with us, but those have gone so through can, the fermentation and drying. You can drying. take one and crack it just in a kind of twisting of your two thumbs to each direction yeah. and then just see the inside, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the bean is made up of the husk, which is the outside, which is like a thin papery substance, mm -hmm. um, which we don't just eat. Just the inside. Then you can eat the, it, the nibs, which are the inside. That's the part that we use to make chocolate or even indeed just eat as nibs, mm -hmm. um, really popular. Um, in granola now yeah, and becoming yeah, more and more popular baking, yeah really popular baking work really nice in a caramel as well if you make mm. a brittle or something with cocoa nibs delicious delicious uh, okay so let's backtrack before yeah. the beans and everything there's history of chocolate yeah so all I know is all these stories about Mayans Aztecs drinking chocolate what do we actually well I mean those are true stories um, and that is the origin of of cocoa and the way it got to Europe is um, via you know the um, 
the conquistadors, the people who were going and sort of what they thought they were doing was discovering um, Central and South America. Obviously, really rich civilizations had been there for hundreds of years. The, I think the earliest that we know for sure that we found cacao beans in a civilization is about 450 BC, but I'm sure they were around a lot, a lot before then. Um, but always as a drink. So and that's the thing that I think is really interesting. It was always as a drink and always as something that was really prized and really valued. So, um, with the, and also the beans were used as a currency, yeah. which I think is really interesting. So, um, that was that was brought oh, back to Europe in about the 1650s. But it's quite a trophy drink, isn't it? It's like a celebratory. Even back yeah. then, it's, oh, yeah. it's considered very much a luxury item. A very special drink, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And from the Mayan and Aztec civilizations all the way through to the European uses in the 1650s, it was it was very prized, very rare, and um, very much sort of a special occasional drink. And yeah. the, the when it kind of hit Europe proper kind of chocolate houses, no? A bit like coffee houses, yeah. places where it's a celebrated yeah, new, new thing to, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think um, in, in Mayfair and St. James, there were a couple of chocolate houses where, you know, the aristocracy would go to, to drink chocolate. Um, and that was very much the way chocolate was consumed um, uh, until really the 19th century, which is when it started to change to be made very differently because of more industrialized processes and be made into bars and change to what we know today as chocolate. So, so that's actually a perfect stage for us to talk about how this kind of beautiful bean with the husk how does it become chocolate? What are the next stages? So you get it in this form. We get, yeah, we buy beans. Um, we buy beans directly from single farms, so we always know exactly who we're dealing with, where it's grown, um, you know, what variety it is, what uh, crop year it is from, um, and those arrive from directly from the farm to Suffolk, where where we make our chocolate, um, and. They arrive in these big sacks, 75 kilo bags, um, which are obviously very, very heavy to carry. And we unload those from shipping containers into our own shipping containers where we store the beans outside the mini factory. Um, and they sit there for a while. The beans are really stable. So we buy our you know full year's worth um, from each farm at the time of their harvest. And we hope that we have guessed Enough, the right yeah. amount that we need for that year. Um, and then they wait there until we're ready to make. And we make in small batches. So we're making each chocolate all the way through the year. We don't sort of make all the Jamaican chocolate and then make all the Ecuadorian chocolate. Um, but once, it, once it's made, there is a merit to it being fresh, isn't it? Like, yeah. Rather than consuming a year-old chocolate, it's quite nice once it's made, once those pods have been processed to eat it yeah. quite close to production. It, do, it does change over time. I think within the first sort of year to 18 months, there's a relative stability. There's been some people trying out sort of 10-year-old bars versus the current version. And, and there's a, a problem in that you can't actually compare because those beans are 10 years old and from a different harvest. But also, the 10-year-old bars just don't taste very good anymore. So, yeah, don't do that. Don't keep <laughs> um, it. Eat, eat your chocolate. <laughs> yeah. This is what I say. You have chocolate, eat it. That's yes. what it's there for. 
Okay, so um, so yeah, so we have the beans, um, and they arrive to us, and the first thing we have to do is actually sort through them because you know they're an agricultural product; they've come straight from the farm in these bags. Um, we need to look through. We check on a little sort of homemade conveyor belt that we have, and actually physically hand touch every bean to make sure that they're complete, that they don't have any holes in them, that they haven't been broken, uh, that there's no twigs in there. We can occasionally find leaves, twigs, the odd nail. <laughs> because, you know, this is also a lot of the farms that we work with, people are making things themselves. They're making the drying racks that they dry the, the cocoa beans on. They're making those themselves. And so these things happen. So we make sure that none of those get in further along the process. Um, so that's the sorting process. And then from sorting, they are roasted. And redo roasting in a way which is kind of quite particular to us. I love the. I, I <laughs> yeah. know what they do, but I think I love this. Yeah, so we roast in ovens, um, pastry ovens. Now we started off with our bread ovens, um, but we then weren't able to use them enough because we needed to do lots of roasting, and there was a lot of bread to be baked as well, so it didn't quite gel. Um, so we then started using the pastry ovens as well, which actually work quite well because they have steam injection. Um, which is a good st sort of addition to help remove that husk from the bean. Um, and now we have dedicated ovens just for the chocolate because, yeah, there's a lot of chocolate to be roasted. <laughs> and you have different times for roasting different beans. Yeah. So do you sort according to size as well? Does, is that a factor or the size is less of a factor? I mean, factor? it is probably a factor. It's not something that we sort of we don't get down to that level um, but we do take some precautions to make sure that the beans roast evenly kind of no matter what size they are so we have perforated trays to make sure the air circulation is happening in the ovens um, in the right way and that also makes sure that they're not roasting darker on the top than the bottom um, and yeah we roast different times different lengths for different beans and actually year on year we're changing that so every crop that comes we decide is this the same as last year's crop from Jamaica or do we need to change the roasting time because we actually want to achieve something different or we think it's got this kind of character which we want to bring out or we want to highlight um, so yeah that's a constantly evolving thing. Does, does it already smell chocolatey as you're roasting at that stage? Do, do any of the characteristics appear then or only later? It does a little bit but it also smells really um, like fermentation. It smells like um, almost like that smell when you go into a winery, that sourness. There's there's a lot of those characteristics as well. You get the base notes coming through sort of uh, underneath and sort of maybe a little bit later on but um, yeah a lot of the flavors that we actually try to work out of the chocolate come out at that roasting stage so it's not the most appealing of the <laughs> rooms that we have. As you go on the process it gets smells better and better. Right. Yeah. So what, how do we go on from there? So how we go on from there is um, after roasting the beans need to be um, broken. So what you guys did when we were passing around the beans was twist the beans open and have the husk and the nibs in your hand. Obviously we don't do that by hand, that way. bean by bean. <laughs> um, what we do is we just we crack and break the whole lot in one big go. So it goes through a machine that basically just cracks all the beans and you end up with a big bin of husk and nibs all together, which obviously we don't want. And then we winnow them, which is really interesting parallel with bread making and with wheat. So a winnowing is a process that happens with wheat as well when you want the husk of the wheat to be discarded and you want to keep the lovely tender inner kernel which you make flour from, you winnow it. And that's what you can you may have seen those amazing sort of 19th century French paintings of farmers throwing wheat up in 
the air and um, we don't throw it up in the air, but we pass, we pass this mixture through a column of air. And the column of air basically pushes the husk, which is lighter, away. And then the heavy nibs fall down to the bottom. So that's how we winnow. The, and then we left then with nibs, which are you know the basic building block of chocolate. That's the thing that you can eat and get really an initial idea of what the chocolate's going to be like. <laughs> and you can obviously eat them just as they are, as we say, it's caramel nibs, and... Yeah delicious things but um, we really want to have a little bit more impact on it so we do then processes like gr- um, grinding and conching which really bring out what we now expect you, chocolate you, to be like. You're saying conching as if everyone here knows no, what sorry. conching is. So let's backtrack a second. Yeah. Grinding I think most of you can understand. What is conching? So conching is a process whereby we are continuing to grind um, and continuing to sort of rub all of the nibs which have become well, let me go backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. Basically, those nibs which you ate are made up of 50% cocoa butter and 50% cocoa solids, roughly. Depends on the bean. Um, and that is amazing because that's what you want to have when you put a piece of chocolate in your mouth and you want it to melt at that body temperature. That's the cocoa butter that does that, the melting. And the cocoa solids what delivers the flavor. So that's brilliant. We want that, but we want it in bar form that's like beautifully melty and amazing mouthfeel and all those things but that's not what nibs are like so we grind them which is taking the nibs and putting them through a peanut butter grinder which gives you like a rough paste and it looks like a bit like peanut butter but obviously much darker again not what you want to be eating Um, it needs sugar it needs a lot more time and a lot more refining so they go into a big machine which has stone wheels that turn and that is the conching process which takes four to five days and that process is doing a couple things it's making the particle size much smaller so we want to get the particle size of the cocoa solids suspended in the cocoa butter down to less than 20 microns so that you can't so you actually can't, t- can't discern them on your exactly palate. yeah and then we also want to drive off any of the volatile chemicals that might be there the acids that are kind of Maybe a little bit harsher. We want to bring out the fruit flavors um, and get rid of those, the, the sort of fermented flavors I mentioned that come out in the roasting. We want to get, drive those off. So any chocolate, any sugar, sorry, gets added at the later stage? It gets or added as it's at the beginning conching. of the conching Beginning stage, of the conching. Yeah. So, this, so that also grinds basically the sugar to that same yeah, feel. Exactly, exactly. And any other flavoring? So if you, I mean, you don't do a lot of very, very flavored chocolates no, and we stuff don't. like that. Yeah. But when you say they would be added as part of the conching or later on? It depends very much on the flavor. So we do make um, a nutmeg mm-hmm. chocolate. So that's with beans from a farm in Grenada and we use nutmeg from the same farm and make this um, milk chocolate with nutmeg in. That nutmeg goes in at the grinding stage again so they make sure that the particle size is really small and smooth. Um, but when we make our bread chocolates, we're usually adding bread at that also at that grinding and conching stage to make sure that there's some smooth bread flavors all the way through. But then we'll also add things later really on stuff, which yeah, is to get the crunch. So you get both the flavor and the texture. And that's what you do with the rye crumb one as well, exactly. which is the best one, by the way. I don't know <laughs> if you haven't tried it. That's the one oh, to eat. Good. Um, well, they all are, but that one specifically. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, and then it's tempering, yeah? Ooh. Which again, it's one of these other terms that sounds kind of out there to people, but it's not that complicated, chocolate tempering. It's not that complicated, especially the way we do it. Um, you know, if, as a pastry chef, I'm sure you learn to hand temper, which is quite complicated. Um, but we temper in machines, and basically tempering means taking the temperature of the chocolate up and then down and then up again um, to make sure you get the crystals forming. There's basically crystals that form as the cocoa butter solidifies, um, and you want them to be all of a certain structure so that you get that snap and that lovely melt when you have a bar of chocolate. Um, and that happens that for us in a water bath, sort of. So we put all the chocolate in. It's surrounded by mm. a water bath. That water bath can electronically take the temperature up, down again, up again. So so does it mix automatically as well? There's like a yeah. big paddle in it. Ooh, it's I beautiful. Like Liquid machines. chocolate going around and around and around. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's quite nice. And then once it's tempered, goes into bars, and then the whole aspect of tempering is that it sets completely. Yes. Exactly. We yeah. have skipped a stage, though, which is aging. Okay. So um, between the conching and the tempering, we age the chocolate in big batches. So, well, the biggest batch that we make um, is 50 kilos, but most are about 25 to 30 kilos. And we, for each batch, we sort of, this is a lovely process as well. You take the, the big conching machine that's been grinding for four or five days and um, tip it over. They're all on pulley systems so that we can do that. And tip it into a big sort of... Um, gastronorm tray Mouth. yes yes <laughs> you need to come and visit <laughs> um into a big gastronorm tray where the whole batch will solidify um 
And what that, what that does is it allows it a little bit of extra time to let those gases come off the same volatile gases that I was mentioning before. We just want to make sure that they're all gone because there is some flavor change in those first 30 days. We want to make sure that when you get the bars on the shelf that they're as stable as they can be for the next, let's say, 12 months before people buy them and eat them. Um, yeah, so that's aging. And then after aging, tempering. And then once, they've been, once the chocolate's been tempered, we have a depositing machine, which then deposits exactly the right amount into the little bar molds. So whether that's 70 grams for the big bars or 20 grams for the little bars, or it might be the five grams for the little baking pastels, which are like this. You guys can pass those around. That's true. That, I believe, is the Grenada that you had mm -hmm. in the, in the yeah. bag, isn't it? Um, which, so that chocolate is from a farm called Crayfish Bay Estate um, in Grenada, in the north of Grenada. A really amazing farm run by a couple named Kim and Lillette Russell. And uh, it's an organic farm, so they have organic certification for their beans, which not everyone that we work with does, but um, they did before we started to work with them, so that's great. And I think what's really interesting about the way they work is that they, um, they basically have given over 90% of the control of their profits to the whole team on the farm. So every year they, they take 10% of the profits, obviously, so they can live, and then they say, okay, guys, 90%, we've... This is the money we've got. What shall we do with it? Do you guys want some bonuses? Do you guys want to buy some new equipment? Do we need a truck? Like, and they and they make and decisions they make that way, yes. which I think is really amazing. It's beautiful. And this is more uh, of your line of cooking chocolates. So you, you provide cooking chocolates for restaurants and, and yeah. pastry kitchens and stuff like that. So this is not so one of the... This specific one is not one of the bars that are in the kind of beautiful bar shape, just in little pastels. They're easier for us to work in kitchens because they melt very evenly and we don't have yeah. to hand chop them. It is like the that. same chocolate. So we do make um, all of the chocolates that we make for chefs to use in kitchens, we also make to eat. And it's exactly the same chocolate that will go from into the bars as well as the pastels. Um, but I would say that we've we don't make all of the bars into the pastel shape for chefs because... Some of the chocolates, as we were discussing earlier, kind of work best in some recipes. So some have a sort of slightly more gutsy, robust flavors, and some are a bit more nuanced and lighter. So um, chefs prefer some over others. Yeah. So, so both of the recipes we made that you'll taste after you eat savory food, which don't bother with, just skip straight <laughs> to the manjang. The savory food is nice as well. Uh, but we've made um, some brownies, because I, what I wanted to show you really... Is, so we made a chocolate mousse and some brownies, and the idea is for you to see how differently it reacts when you bake a chocolate or when you use it just melted in its with a cream. So they taste, even though it's the same chocolate exactly, you'll see when you try them later, the flavor becomes quite a yeah. different thing. And it's really interesting to, to play with recipes and with different chocolates. So even like a regular chocolate cake that you've been making for years, if you try it one day with a completely different chocolate bar, what you're going to produce is a completely different yeah. thing. Yeah. And this goes a bit to to what I wanted to talk about next, which is kind of origins and farms and countries that grow and how yeah. do you go about this? Yeah, so um, to give you a, a, a starting point from that, the farm that I was just talking about, um, Crayfish Bay in Grenada, is one that we started working with um, partly because it's in the Caribbean. My father was able to go and visit and start, you know, understand how they work, test their chocolate, test um test their beans and we made some test batches and we decided that this is delicious chocolate. I, I think it's one of the most um, varied chocolates that we make so 
when you're tasting that chocolate, it goes through a real journey from really sort of rich berry flavors to floral flavors to also some sort of herbaceous, almost like lovagey things going on there. And I think that's what I really, really like about it. Then we have other chocolates that we make from different regions, from different farms, which have completely different characters. And that's really what we are looking for when we're making different chocolates is, you know, is that a really delicious bean that's going to make a really delicious chocolate? And is it bringing something to our range that is going to contribute to the you know, variety that we're able to make? So if you were to try the Grenada compared to a Madagascan chocolate that we make, let's say the dark 72% Madagascar or the milk the one here... Yeah. Um, it has so much more bright, high fruit flavors in the Madagascan chocolate. That's just because the beans have those in them. And no matter what chocolate we make with those beans, it'll have those fruit flavors. If it's the milk chocolate, they're a little bit more caramelly and a little bit more sort of raspberry-ish. But if it's the dark chocolate, they're very limey and, um, yeah, quite bright. So, yeah. yeah. What about this one, the Ecuador? Because I, I quite love this one. It's an 85%. It's really intense but it also is completely satisfying because it's got so much flavor to it that's a great word for it i think satisfying i think ecuadorian beans are known for being quite earthy and quite rich and nutty um and that's and i think the ones that we work with are particularly characteristic of that the ecuadorian beans um these ones are nacional which is kind of like the heritage cacao of ecuador it's really really prized um, and the farmer that we work with, his beans come to us the most beautiful, so the most pristine. They've obviously been fermented so, so well, dried immaculately, never have any leaves or twigs or anything in them. <laughs> um, so you can really feel the pride that he has in what he does, you know, even just in the finished beans that arrive to us. And the flavor is consistently amazing. Um, but yeah, very earthy, very rich. A lot of like hazelnut and caramel flavors in there. And that's why we use it as the base chocolate for a lot of our bread bars because it has that richness and depth to kind of go against the maltiness and wheat flavors that we're adding. Some of the more nuanced chocolates might not might get a bit drowned out by those bread flavors. And, and when we talk about that, the percentages, just explain to everyone what this means, these kind of percentages, they're on packages. How are they supposed to address that? Yeah, I mean, percentages are really interesting. They do mean a lot, but they don't always mean what we take them to mean. So um, percentage really just means the amount of the cocoa bean that is in the bar. Um, So if it says 70%, that means that bar is made with 70% beans and the other 30% is probably sugar. It might be um, if there's any other other added things, you know, there might be caramel or raspberries or whatever in there as well. Um, I think what it's been taken to mean is flavor, which obviously has an indication of how rich a bar is going to be because how many beans are in there is, you know, it's going to be stronger if it's a higher percentage. But what the character of those beans are actually has a lot to um to do with that as well so the flavor of an 85 percent bar might actually seem a bit more mellow than the flavor of a 75 percent bar depending on which two beans you've got in those bars and the other thing just to to clarify is a bit like with wine when you're talking about these flavor notes and everything like that you're not actually talking about berries being in there or caramel being in there you're talking about the flavors that yeah and that's something i actually really had to learn a lot to do without feeling like i was 
sounding pretentious when we first started making chocolate because I had never really been into wine, never really been into, you know, we made bread, which is obviously delicious, but doesn't have all of these notes that, that um, you talk about. And you know, chocolate's one of the most complex food items that exists. So there's like 800 flavor compounds that exist in chocolate. Um, and I'm still learning every day about how to talk about it and what I taste. Um, but yes, I think it's one of the really amazing things is because of those 800 flavor compounds, you can taste identifiable flavors that you know from elsewhere in chocolate, even though they've not been added. It just comes from the beans. And can you become a better chocolate taster? What would you do to become a better just chocolate taster? Just eat more chocolate. That's the best part. <laughs> this is exactly what I was hoping to hear. The proof, I've been told I have to. It's nothing, you know. I yeah, have to. That's for work. absolutely how we started. I mean, <laughs> before we even released a bar of chocolate, the way we got into it was just eating lots of chocolate, try buying from lots of different makers, learning, you know, do I like Venezuelan chocolate more than Ecuadorian chocolate? Try a couple of different single origin bars to kind of see if there's any similarities between them. Um, you know, I can't, I still can't sort of tell you definitively what Venezuelan chocolate tastes like, but I can tell you if I like that bar and I can tell you if, you know, what I like about it or what I don't like about it. And I think that's all you really need to be able to, to do. And when you say single origin, you're talking about countries versus a single farm usually, yeah? Yeah, I mean, as a, this is something that there's not really an industry standard on, but um, as a business, we like to say single origin when it means a single country, which is, we work actually on a slightly more granular level at single farm level, so we only ever buy beans that we can identify are from one farm, and we always make bars with just one farm, so we're not blending different farms together. It's not to say there's no um, no benefit in single origin beans. I mean, it's definitely it's a level of traceability that um, is better than a, a lot of other levels. But um, yeah, so that's what we take it to mean. But there's not really a standard. Okay. And how did you go about introducing? flavors to your bars because like I said before the rye is absolutely my favorite but the sourdough is delicious as well yeah how did this well obviously you have a bakery so I'm assuming that has a big part of that yeah the bakery played a big part I mean it's not something that we did very quickly um, I'd say for the first 18 months that we were making chocolate we were just making three bars from three different origins um, Ecuador the same Ecuadorian beans that we use at the moment and Madagascar the exact same beans as well we were also working with a cooperative from Venezuela which we're not working with anymore because um, it was becoming too difficult to source their beans um, and so those were the, f the first three that we worked with and they were all dark bars and that was really because we were we were still finding our way as chocolate makers and we wanted to be able to be sure that we were sort of replicating the same flavors over and over again and really had some consistency in what we were making and also we wanted to bring to our customers the amazing sort of variety of flavors there were within dark chocolates and so they were all about the same percentage so Madagascar was 72 and the Venezuela and the Ecuador were 75 at the time and but they all tasted completely different so that was kind of what we were really excited about at the beginning and then after we were kind of confident that we could do that and do it again and again, we started to think about this relationship between the chocolate that we were making and the and the bakery, which isn't isn't immediately apparent, but the fermentation similarities, uh, you know, we now actually, all the bread that we bake in the bakery is made with a sourdough starter that comes from the farm that we work with in St. Vincent. So we've taken the fermenting juices from the cocoa beans, added those to flour and water, and now we make all of our sourdough bread from that so those kind of similarities we thought okay that's really fun to play with and also just you know who doesn't love sticking some chocolate in a baguette or a pound of chocolat so you know there's natural sort of marriage there 
so we played around with putting bread and chocolate and um and like I said before the sort of putting a smooth but malty sort of base flavor to the chocolate but then also adding crunch at the end was the way that we found that was most touching all of the points that we thought were great flavors and great textures that you could get from that combination so that's what we do with the sourdough and sea salt and then also with the rye and milk which you like let's talk about the painful thing for everyone which is the cost of chocolate yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it's expensive buying good chocolate is expensive yeah our chocolate's expensive (laughs) but I mean not just I I think good chocolate and it should be there's Mm. a bit of a respect to to the people that grow it and the process of it but can you tell us a bit about how how you've gone about kind of trying to develop a yeah a a sort of theory on that well I mean this talks a lot speaks a lot to sort of our theory of our business as well because we've grown a lot over the five or six years we've been making chocolate now so we've gone from literally making a a small batch of chocolate in one conching machine to now we have got eight of those machines working around the clock all the time all year round so we now we might this year hopefully reach 20 tons of chocolate the reason we're doing that and the reason we're growing in that way is because partly we've got the confidence to do it now because we know we can make the chocolate and we know it's still as good as it was before um, and that's because we're really tight on the replicability of everything and the control, quality control all the way through but also because the more beans we buy the better it is for the farms that we work with so if we return to the same farm and the next year we add 50% on our order from the year before they're over the moon and they're over the moon because we pay a lot more for the beans than most of their other customers do and obviously that's better for them better for people that they work with and that's why I'm comfortable with us growing in that way Um, you know it still doesn't mean that we are going to be able to be at a at a size that we can make much cheaper chocolate but it does mean that the farmers are getting more and more benefit as we grow yeah okay last question from me yeah what's your favorite one Oh gosh. Well, it changes actually from day to day, but recently I've done quite a few tastings, like guided tastings with people, and I keep returning to the Madagascar 72%, which is one of our most bold chocolates. But after you've tasted quite a few chocolates, it never ceases to kind of amaze me that it has so much flavor in it that you wouldn't expect from chocolate. Yeah, I'm always delighted by that one. So we're going to eat some savory food. And then for dessert, like I said before, gluten-free brownie. It does have almonds in it. So let us know if you have a nut allergy. It's delicious. But it's really nice. We had so a piece good. of it before. I was debating keeping the whole thing in the fridge <laughs> and not actually serving it. But we're going to serve it. Hopefully you don't eat it. And a chocolate cream, which is really one of our very traditional recipes where we add a bit of cardamom to it. Because for us, that kind of works really well with chocolate. Uh, I'm going to add a bit of orange syrup and some sour cream on top. And that's like a nice creamy thing. And it's one of our kind of, it's been a staple dessert in Honey & Co for many years. And you're going to try those today. If you're not here and buying chocolate from us, Joe will tell you where you can find it. Definitely come to this beautiful shop where you can buy lots of other amazing things as well. Yeah, otherwise we have an online shop where we've always got everything that's available, the full range. And we ship across the UK and some international things as well. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to our latest episode. If you'd like to join one of the next talks, please follow us on social media at Honey & Co. or go on our website, honeyandco.co.uk. We would really appreciate if you took some time and rated us at iTunes. Only five stars, please. With a huge thanks to Hester Kant for producing. And the music is by the lovely Alice Russell. Thanks for listening.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.